Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Lawrence Chapman from Heaven's Vault. I'll explain the game in a moment, but I do want to let you know that this interview had a bit of an unusual start because uh, we, we didn't really begin it. It just evolved into... And normally there's a bit more of a setup uh, just to avoid situations like this. But uh, in any event, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Lawrence Chapman about his wonderful music for Heaven's Vault. I'm so glad that uh, we have this chance to talk. I, um, no, no uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, really enjoyed the the score for the game, and it's funny because that's not my kind of game at all. Like, I love shooting things <laughs> in games, yes. not in real life. Even though I'm an American, I prefer that all to happen in a game, uh, <laughs> or like big, huge, like you know, soul sucking adventure RPG, open world kind of you know life ruining games. Uh, so it, yes, it was really like, fun. Sort of, I, I, that's what I think of when people say video games. It's the kind of thing that people, yes, yeah, um, yeah, uh, think of, yeah, yeah. But this this game is so special and really just somehow really hit me just right, and and I've really enjoyed uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, of course, the score goes right along with that. So um, oh, that's my so. preamble to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, haven't actually, I haven't played. I should I should say I haven't played the full game. I've only played. A couple of levels um, when okay. it was a rough. Well, it, it, I, they say it was a rough build. It looked pretty good to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, because I, I don't have a PlayStation, but I've only been I've been able to look at footage and that kind of thing, and that's how I've been able to, to work with it. But oh, um, yeah, it looks from what I've been told. One of my friends, a close friend of mine, he's been playing it a lot, and he says it, it's really quite an immersive experience. You get yep. drawn in. Yeah, um, very much. Much more than he much more than he thought he would, based on you know the footage he'd seen and uh, the trailers. Yeah, and I didn't see any of that before I bought it. I just straight up bought it because um, uh, one of our patrons that has supported us for years, we've been doing a podcast like this in some way, shape, or form since 2011. So, you know, we've had some people with us for a very long time, and and this uh, uh, gal from the UK named Claire has been one of them. And she, uh, I think, originally knew of your music through 80 days and we're going to talk about that in you know in this interview as well but um she just said something in our discord chat she's just like check out this score from heaven's vault it's really cool and so i listened to some of it and i'm like yeah that's cool i'll I'll just get the game and bought the game and i'm like i'm gonna hate this game (laughs) but i ended up really loving it because i just can get really annoyed with puzzle games fairly quickly but it's not even Mm. I don't even, I mean, clearly there's a puzzle aspect to it, but it's just different yeah. than that. So um, anyway, I feel like we've already started the interview, which <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> is kind of hilarious. Uh, I've, we might as well keep going. Um, That's fine by me. If yeah, it's okay. I've said nothing that I want to retract unless you want to restart. Or... No, no, not at all. Um, you know, I'll, I'll edit all this together with, with your music, um, <clears throat> but... Because, you know, not everyone listening is going to know what we're talking about when it comes to this game. So would you mind just talking a little bit about what it is like? 
I might. I, I I wonder if you. It might do it better justice if you just if you describe <laughs> it rather rather than I do. Like I said, because I've I've done a testing. Session. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's uh, fair. Also, should, um, I had to. I mentioned this in another interview, only towards the end when I suddenly I, I was trying to work out why I hadn't played the game. Um, I had a. I was involved in a, a skiing accident in February. Oh um, and so it was pretty much sort of knocked out of action. So I wasn't able to do anything. And I think what I normally would have done is gone over it you know, during that period of time. I would have gone to see Inca and I would have had a chance to play the game. Right. Um, but because my mobility was so reduced and I don't have a Oof. PlayStation 4, I, it was I, it was almost impossible. Well, it wasn't impossible for me to leave the house, but it was difficult for me to get anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. So I literally, because I don't own the PlayStation myself, then couldn't go and play the game or go and visit right. anyone who had it. So it's a sort of bizarre situation where I, I've literally just seen footage um, of yeah. people playing no, and had the original um, a couple of years ago. Um, but anyway, so for that reason, I think you'll do it. You might do a better justice if you um, uh, if you describe the game or if you introduce it. Oh, I'd be yeah, I'd I'd be happy to, and I I can either do that now or in the intro to the show itself, but um, I'll just yeah. talk about the things that really attracted me to it initially was, um, you know, I heard from this friend of ours through Discord that the game was great too. You know, it wasn't just that the music was great. She just she said something about how, you know, you get to um, try and learn a language. And that yeah. really is what it is. You, you travel around from place to place and the travel aspect of the game is unique uh, mm -hmm. and special, I would say, uh, because you travel on these beautiful rivers in this unique kind of almost like flying ship. Um, that, yes, that bit. I have played, definitely played that bit. Um, yeah. And that was, I remember getting that wrong an awful lot because I kept, I kept steering the wrong way. Um, <laughs> but that, I remember John and Joe saying at the time that actually I was quite a useful tester because, um, because I'm, I wasn't, I'm not, because I'm not a big gamer. Okay. Um, I was making mistakes that people who don't normally play computer games would make. Sure. Um, I've, I've said a couple of times that um, I think I, I fell down. Um, I fell down some stairs, and <laughs> I don't know how this, how this is how the games are all constructed. But what had basically happened was I was bumping into walls that weren't there, um, and what had happened was that there was something wrong with the code that was telling the. Uh, Telling my character it was on floor one, but telling the graphics I was on floor two. Oh. So I was bumping into walls that are upstairs and all sides. Of, I, I, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think I did a similar, a similar thing with the nebula in that I was sort of fl flying around. I was slowly getting the hang of it. Um, but I think I didn't do the nebula justice because that was I, that was just bad piloting on my part. I was swerving all over the place. And I think John and Joe may have thought, well, there's something wrong with the code here. There's something wrong going wrong. But I think that was that was definitely me just flying very bad. <laughs> And the nebula, that's the name of this uh, network of rivers that you travel uh, around yes. on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that part of the game, which is, you know, very different than the narrative part of the game, where you're kind of wandering around these uh, different planets or spaces with a companion and having a conversation with this companion and uncovering symbols and uh, t just tidbits of information and trying to figure out what this language is. 
And yeah. as you do that, some words you get right fairly quickly, and uh, you can prove that based off of I don't know science of linguistics, but it's a thing, <laughs> and yeah. and it's it's really cool. And then some words, you know, I still don't have right. And that's hilarious. I mean, I'm, I'm again, not too, too far into it, but, um, you know, I feel like uh, other people might get those words more quickly. But, um, but yeah, it's just it's it's really a neat experience as a game. Very, very narrative, but also lots of moving around and flying around. worked with Inkle, which is the studio before, and are, yeah. are you considered their in-house composer, or do they just keep asking you to come back for projects? I, they keep asking me to come back for projects. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, I, I'm sort of a, what's the, what does that mean? I suppose an outhouse composer. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not tied to them, but they, they, they come to me for the music, which is, which is great, because they're, they're fantastic guys to work with. Um, so, I mean, it's, I think you, you mentioned uh, 80 Days a little earlier on, and that's kind of where it all started, simply by uh, a coincidence. I was um, emailing uh, game companies to say, you know, do you need some music? Can I pitch for something? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I just happened to, you know, I was going through my list in alphabetical order as you do, and I happened to come to I at just the right time. Um, and they were trying, uh-huh. to, they were trying to get together some music for eighty days. And um, yeah, it sort of, well, it, it took off from there. I think. Um, yeah. So you were talking about how uh, 80 Days was where it all started. And the thing that uh, is very noticeable to me about the music from 80 Days or the music from Sorcery, those those are completely different scores than, than what was written for Heaven's Vault because Heaven's Vault is just so intimately scored for just a handful mm-hmm. of musicians compared to these big, epic, wonderful adventure-type scores, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, so I think you know the, the style of the game comes into it, and uh, budget, I suppose, to a certain extent, comes into it as well, and how much music is required. Um, I mean, eighty days. Sort of, I think uh, Inkle started that as a kind of, um, obviously not how it ended up, but as a, as a sort of side project between uh, two of the sorcery projects, and then it sort of ballooned and got out of hand. Uh, they ended up making it a little more complicated than they originally thought they would. Um, but the in terms of the music for that, it was. Uh, I think they needed it quite quickly. Um, I think they were releasing the game quite soon. And so I sent in three fairly short ideas. Um, they went for one of them. And then I just did a three-minute theme, which would be it's the music that you hear when uh, you're traveling around the world. So it's sort of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's a bit like the nebula, I suppose, of Heaven's Vault in that way. It's kind of traveling music. Okay. Uh, so the music just makes up that. Um, so I had to do that in kind of a, It wasn't a big rush, but we kind of did it quite quickly. But then for the sorcery uh, music, we had a bit more had a bit more time and uh, slightly larger budget as well. So we were able to get an orchestra in the room and record those um, record those themes. 
Um, nice. And they were all fairly fairly straightforward because they were just musical themes. They were you know, quite straightforward to do. Um, John is really good at describing what he wants in terms of not necessarily the music, but the mood he wanted to to recreate. Okay. Um, I remember for Sorcery 2, I think he'd said something like sort of think pirate shanties or pirate sea shanties, I think was what he described, um, <laughs> among lots of other things. I mean, he's really, really good at describing the effect he wants the music to have. Um, as some people will go too much into describing musically what they want and we can start to use musical terms incorrectly, okay. um, which can then just send you down sort of right. you know, down the rabbit hole and goes a bit wrong. But he just says, I wanted to sound like this and it's, it's fantastic. And he writes very well as well, so that always helps. Forgive my shoddy researching, but can you please tell us who who John is in, at Inkle? Oh, uh, John is uh, the he's now the narrative director. I think is his title. He was, um, I think, co-founder at the time, but now okay. he's narrative director. Okay, okay. So, yeah. And yeah, and jo- so John and John and Joe are the two. They're the guys that I talk about. They they co-founded Inkle. Yeah, they're they're uh, wonderful writers, and just based off the experience I had with um, Evans Vault, it's it's so intricate, and there's so many possibilities for conversations, and so many different branches mm-hmm. that you can take. It's uh, really deeply written, you know. Yeah, and it must be. I I I, I dread to think how complicated it must get having to sort out uh, the number of choices based on. <laughs> other choices <laughs> yes exactly in, in 80 days alone which is less complicated there are you know, lots of different things that can happen th- based on those character choices yes. um so heaven's vault is obviously that plus um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um so back more specifically to heaven's vault we talked a little bit about how how there really are kind of two two types of gameplay there's the traveling between the worlds in the nebula on the rivers and then there's the gameplay it, itself uh, as i would describe it um so tell me about the difference musically speaking between those two spots um well the the nebula is um I'll start with that i suppose um is it just needed to be very gentle uh drift drifting style ethereal music um that accompanied the uh, the perform uh, well the player um during the nebula so i just um came up with something <laughs> came up with something that that suited it quite well um because i had played the game this is where it was definitely helpful i think because um being able to judge how the uh, the tempo of the movement and uh, it was quite a because it's quite a gentle lilting almost sort of sailing well it is a sailing uh, yeah. sailing kind of boat um then that was quite important in setting the tempo um and then as for the kind of sound world I, the i managed to get a, a singer in it basically at the last minute i had actually um put in a uh, sort of a sampled uh, singing soloist and I thought, well, that'll do for you know, that'll do for now. But eventually, um, we'll have to find someone uh, properly who can do it. Um, and long story short, I managed to get a lovely woman called uh, Haley Glennie Smith, who, um, who she'd actually sung on Gravity beforehand. Um, okay. But I did, I didn't know this when I asked when I asked if she was able to do it. Um, I just knew someone who knew someone who did some singing. Uh, so we're, <laughs> we're tremendously lucky to have this singer who actually you know could really sing. Um, <laughs> So uh, that was fantastic. So that worked out quite well. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just a, quite a nice example of me, you know, sort of sitting at my piano and stuff and sketching around, thinking, "Oh, I think we need a, you know, I think we need a voice," and uh, having no idea where this would come from. 
um, and then getting very lucky uh, at, well, almost at the last minute with finding someone who could actually do the singing. I do want to say that uh, just the uh, the way you reflect, so to speak, the nature of uh, traveling on those rivers is just really pretty with, uh, you know, lots of uh, moving lines in the piano and just soaring kind of string stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it's really well, effective. It's, yeah, and it's, well, it, it works quite well. It's nice in as a composer's point of view from uh, to have that kind of aspect of gameplay because there's no dialogue or at least spoken dialogue or other sound effects. So you can, in effect, you know, go nuts for a bit. Yes. You haven't got to worry about clouding out any other aspect of the game. You can just say, right, I'm going to have, you know, some rich four-part counterpoint or whatever going on, and it won't distract from the game. And in fact, if anything, it may just, you know, help it or just add to it for a time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk about uh, a Nebula track here. Well, the Nebula in a minute. I want to specifically uh, because it's such a it's really great, but um, but yeah, let's talk about the instrumentations because we keep the instrumentation because we kind of keep dancing around it. Uh, but basically, yeah. string quartet, solo cellist, and the the singer at times as well, right? And yeah, yeah that's basically uh, yes, and me on the piano. Yep. I, some, I well, wondered if it was you because you didn't credit yourself. <laughs> Did I not? Oh, no. Just, oh, I thought, no. I thought given my name was kind of you know on, on the front cover of the CD as it were, on the <laughs> I thought oh that, that'll do. So talk to me about uh, making that uh, choice as doing something so uh, bare, really, uh, as string quartet and or just, you know, solo cello with piano at times. Um, I think it just, because the game is, it is, uh, it has a big scope, you know, there's lots of, there is lots of traveling, you go to different places. Um, but at the same time, it is uh, just, um it's just you know, Alia and her robot. Um, so it, it's, I think if we had a big orchestral score going through the whole way, or even for even small periods of time, uh, it just wouldn't quite work. Because it, 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 despite the despite the setting of the game, it's quite it's quite intimate game because it's just these two sorting out this puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you can be slightly more, I don't know if it's maybe it's something maybe it was something subconscious to do with code breaking. And I thought you know with the string quartet you can do more refined writing and if I needed to do if I wanted to do contrapuntal or fugal type things to sort of reflect the puzzle aspect of the game um, then maybe that, that instrumentation uh, would be more appropriate. I take it you were trained as a pianist? Uh, yes, yeah, I did. Um, I, I studied piano. Up, well, actually, I, I 
when I went to university, uh, which I suppose is, is college in the States, um, yeah. I stopped after one year studying piano and then just switched to basically studying anything to do with music history or orchestration, arranging, composition, conducting, and that, that more practical side of it. Because, um, well, I, I enjoy playing the piano, but I knew I wanted to compose or arrange for a living. Um, and I thought what I, what I don't want to happen is to, not assuming, assuming it happens to everyone, um, but I don't want to sort of burn out playing the piano and mm-hmm. you know be fed up of having to practice for hours and hours and hours to get my degree. And then when I come out at the end, I realize, A, I'm a bit fed up playing the piano, <laughs> and B, I wish I'd taken more modules on you know composition and orchestration and that kind of side of it. Yeah. Um, so I was quite lucky in that while I was at university, I was able to just play the piano for fun and then focus on composing and orchestrating. Sure. Um, but I, and now, I mean, you know, I play the piano for, well, I don't know how many hours, a, well, probably not hours a day, but, you know, a good amount of the day. And I love playing. Um, but it's nice that I haven't got to worry about, you know, how does my performance of Claire the Loon sound? Right. Because I'm doing a recital in a couple of days. It's just, oh, it sounds okay. It's fine. You know, my girlfriend's <laughs> enjoying it. So that's good enough for me. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have that relaxing, that relaxing element of the music. Um, but then, yes. as I say, it was useful to be able to just knuckle down on um, getting my uh, composition skills up to um, up to snuff. You know, there are so many examples of, you know, great orchestral pieces that started off as piano pieces. And uh, uh, because I think of so many composers historically being very talented pianists who would compose a piano. Yeah. So uh, do you find that when you do a score like, uh, you know, string quartet is a little different, I know, but uh, something for like 80 days or sorcery, do you find yourself scoring it in four parts on the piano or, or however many parts and then orchestrating it from there? Uh, yeah, pre- pretty much that. I mean, I've had um, <laughs> Sorcery 4, I think I was walking the dog and I had a, the tune sort of, this sounds very Beethoven, like, you know, sort of classical <laughs> composer going for a walk in the forest. But literally, I can't now remember which bit, um, but it was just a couple of bars of it uh, started. And I, you know, I've been thinking about it during the day and playing with ideas on the piano. Mm-hmm. So it didn't just sort of drift into my mind out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, so that I remember remember a certain passage of Sorcery 4 just sort of crept into my head and I thought, ah, okay, this is going to be useful. And then had to keep humming it while I was walking the dog so I could get back home and then put it down on some manuscript paper so I didn't forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it can, it can sort of happen like that, have ideas in my head, but I tend to be able to think quite orchestrally while sitting at the piano. So do you think that's a nature of uh, your composition training or do you think that's from playing orchestral reductions? Or I'm just cur- I'm just kind of picking your brain here about it. I'm sorry to be so uh, annoying about it. No, but. it's fine. It's quite interesting. No, it's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably just, uh, well, yeah, I, I tend, yeah, I compose, I compose at the piano and that's just how I've got used to it. Um, okay. I've tried composing onto, you know, uh, onto Logic and other sequences, um, and it just never sounds as good, or at least doesn't. It works the wrong way, uh, if that makes any sense. So, uh, if you go onto a, a sequencer, it has you go from uh, from left to right, um, but I need to go down first. <laughs> so I need to put my, <laughs> I want my harmonies in, um, or at least you know a rough sketch of what I'm going to do. Um, yep. I think I have. I think somewhere there's a post of. I think I put a picture of. Um, part of the soundtrack of heaven's vault um and i don't know what it's actually called now at the time it's called reveal 2 um and i think i've posted uh, i think i put it on my youtube channel i think okay. um but if not i'll tweet it or something and yeah. whoever's listening to this if they want can see um but what i need what i need to be able to do sometimes is make a very light harmonic sketch 
of roughly where I'm going um, and what the melody line will be. But I won't necessarily know um, time signatures or rhythms exactly. And it's not, it's not something that's particularly easy to do on Logic. Um, so I tend, <laughs> I tend to usually just resort to, I might say resort to, I just go straight to manuscript paper, mm -hmm. um, sketch down what I want, and then go into the sequencer and use it as a, as a presentation tool. Old school, I love it. <laughs> it is pretty old school, yeah. Um, and it, 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 I don't know, I, it'd be interesting to see how, how complicated that gets when I, you know, if or when I start doing larger orchestral projects. Um, sure. So, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, We'll see. We'll, we'll adapt. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. Was fine. it was fine. It was fine for Heaven's Vault because it couldn't get any bigger than four-part harmony. Right. Um, well, actually, there is some overdubbing. So actually, there's eight-part harmony in some of it. Okay. Um, so I had a sort of a fake string octet. Nice. Uh, but yeah, that kind of stuff is relatively easy to do, you know, pencil and paper. Yeah, let's talk about a couple specific tracks, um, and then I would love to know a little bit more about your background. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the Nebula. This is a really long track. I'm sure that it gets perhaps split up or somehow uh, throughout the game, but uh, it's it's just a, a really nice one. Um, so tell me a little bit more about about that specific track, if you would. It's based on a sort of a repeating-ish chord sequence, um, but I don't like using... Uh, sort of just chord sequences to rely on. So it's it's sort of it, it, there's a, there's a rough sort of uh, harmonic outline which I then fiddle around with. Um, so it always has the same kind of sound, but it doesn't feel like it's just repeating itself. Um, and then the string quartet, well, I suppose for want of a better phrase, sort of dance around this chord sequence um, with different melodies and overlapping. Um, and it was actually quite. It was once you've got quite a slow tempo going. Surprised how long it actually uh, developed into. I thought. When I started playing it, I thought, okay, I think I've got an idea here, um, you know, a harmonic sequence that'll kind of work. Um, and I thought it would be about four minutes, and it ended up being, you know, well, I think it's eight and a half. Yeah. Um, so it was quite easy once, I, th I think, because I was quite happy with the material I had to work with, that I kept ending up sort of adding extra sections and then going back and putting another linking section to another to another passage. So, um, so yeah, that, that part of it was quite, it sort of it almost composed itself. <laughs> Some recording of a, of a violinist playing some very high. It wasn't going to be very high harmonics, and then it wasn't quite feasible. It didn't quite sound the way we wanted to in the room. Mm. Um, so I think what we ended up doing was have um, have them play very very high. Uh, I think it's a it's a D major arpeggio or something that fits, and then we added some um, uh, well, lots of reverb to that individual performance, and then had it uh, pan from different sides, uh, you know, from left to right on the speakers. Mm. Um, and I think we did. I think we just did that on the one track. I was going to do it in a few more instances, but when uh, we realised how complicated it was, I think I put it down to just the once. Um, so yeah, it has a kind of a, a mixture of all sorts of things. Um, some you know, good old fashioned string quartet playing, and some singing, and then some you know, more slightly more high tech uh, effects from uh, Pro Tools.
Another thing that I hear a lot in here is Dorian mode, and I wondered if we could talk about that for a minute. Um, if that was a conscious I'm kind of. My mode. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Natural uh, minor with uh, a natural I six. Just, <laughs> I just turned to my piano and just went, which one's Dorian? Oh, yes, that one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah it's, it's such a lovely uh, sound. And I actually did a little kind of thing about one of your tracks um, and published it a couple of weeks ago and talked a little oh, bit right. about that. So, so I don't, I don't want to talk too much more about it now, but I didn't know. It's I didn't know if it was a specific sound that you consciously used throughout the score. Is my question? Yeah, um, I don't know because yeah, some people have commented on the sort of uh, folky type sound that some of them have. Um, particularly, hang on, now which one is it? I'm just thinking of the, the track list and trying to remember. Uh, it's the one we released, track eight, and it's called um, "Before the Fall." Oh, that's it. Before the fall. I think, well, the yeah, the Dorian mode is there's a lot of it in uh, Before the Fall, um, which is this kind of it's in it's in five four. It has a kind of a lilting feel to it, um, and ha- yeah, has this sort of folky feel. Um, and I think because I was quite pleased with that track, I've sort of taken other elements of it um, and used it in in other cues as well. Um, I, I'm not quite sure where that folky thing came from. I think it's just I think I just like using those those kind of modes to give it a, a slightly different feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than being in sort of yeah uh, uh, major or minor, you know, indistinct uh, those kind of keys, yeah. um, it just gives it something a little bit different. But I don't think it's something I did consciously. Um, <laughs> Neat. I didn't think let's give this a folky feel. It's just that's yeah. where the melody came from. Um, nice. But it's also, I mean, I've been listening to slightly more folk music this year than I did, you know, before. So oh. that's probably you know it's just a you know it's just a subconscious thing. It just drifts in. Yep. Um, I, what was I? There was something I did with sorcery, which I know comes from. Uh, yes, I, it's the weirdest thing. When I was um, doing uh, part of the music on sorcery, I was doing lots of um, contrast between loud and soft very quickly, um, and I was trying to work out. Well, no, I wasn't trying to work out. I was just thinking, oh, I wonder where this has come from. And then I realised I'd been listening to a lot of Peter Maxwell Davis's symphonies, oh. and. His fifth symphony, I think, has a lot of going very, very loud and then suddenly cutting off and going quiet. It may not be the it's either the fifth or the sixth. Okay. Um, but anyway, he does that a lot, and I hadn't thought of, I hadn't thought at the time, you know, when I was doing this part of sorcery. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Um, it had just sort of, you know, gone into the system somehow, subconscious, yep. you know, and then come out. And then it wasn't until I looked at the score, you know, a couple of months later, and I thought, why did I? Why was I doing all these harmonic, uh, these uh, dynamic contrasts? Yeah. Um, and that's when I sort of put two and two together, and I thought, oh, of course, I was listening to a lot of that at the time, and it sort of came out in the music. Um, so yeah, so I think a similar things happened here with Heaven's Vault. You, sure. you listen to a lot of folk, mu- folk music, and you're going to start writing in modes before you know it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, that, yeah. It's very true. Um, There are two tracks toward the end of uh, the album. One is called One Good Moon, and that one's very brief. And then there's a longer track called Fantasia on One Good Moon. So talk to me about those two, if you would. 
The Fantasia on One Good Moon uh, is a direct result of my skiing accident. <laughs> really? Uh, yes. Well, what had happened was uh, I composed One Good Moon, uh, God, a good while ago, because I think Heaven's uh, uh, Inkle used it on the one of the very first teaser trailers they did. So they've, they've had that for a while. Um, and I was, no, I thought, actually, this is quite a good melody. We can't, um, I, I don't want to waste it. Because um, mm. it's a shame that it's only 50 seconds long, you know, mm-hmm. if that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do something else with it. So what I did is, I think in uh, January of this year, I did a full version for, for String Quartet, um, you know, as so it fitted in with the rest of the Heaven's Vault kind of vibe. Yep. And said to John and Joe, you know, I'd like to be able to do record this because it's quite a nice tune we'll put this on the soundtrack album and if there's bits of it you can get onto the game that's no that's great that's how we'll, we'll do it um but the recording session was scored for was uh, was scheduled for shortly after my holiday and so oh. <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't got around to sorting out the score for the string quartet and i was still in hospital when the recession was booked oh, uh, man. Uh, so i just there wasn't time to read there wasn't time to rebook or get them the new score uh, we sort of went Rough. through various options which included a mate of mine going into my house and, you know, getting the score, putting it onto Sibelius. But um, no, so what I ended up doing was thinking, well, I'll just do a piano improvisation on it instead because um, that's much cheaper <laughs> and much easier <laughs> than, getting a, than getting a string quartet back into, mm-hmm. a, back into a studio. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where it comes from. So, um, so there's, a, you know, there's a lesson, you know, skiing, skiing accidents can have, you know, a good musical upside. You get you know, five, five minutes of, of, uh, of enjoyable music. How did you find the string quartet and uh, the the solo cellist Rachel Shakespeare? How did you find uh, those folks? Uh, I uh, almost by accident because I think I I actually (laughs) sounds terrible. I emailed someone else um, in 2015 who uh, was advertising himself as a um, runs a sort of similar business. Um, and I got a very prompt reply from him saying, that'd be great. Very sorry that I'm quite busy at the moment and can't really fit you in, but mm. try these guys. Um, and so yeah. he sent me the um, email address for Rachel who runs Leos strings. And, um, yeah, they have a couple of string players that, you know, live around, uh, you know, live locally up in the well, North of England. And, um, uh, yes, I think I booked them for a session and then they've always sort of been my, my go-to, uh, string guys. about your uh, background, if you would, and how you ended up becoming, you know, wanting to study music in, in university and stuff? Uh, well, I think when I was um, when I was quite young, I thought, actually, it's, uh, because I enjoy music so much, it might not be a good idea to do it for a, you know, do it for a living, um, because, you know, I want to be able to enjoy it, and I want to have, you know, maybe work during the day, and then I can come back and enjoy, you know, playing the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then as I got a little bit older, maybe sort of early teens, I realized there wasn't much else I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I think I, yeah, it was, a, it was a film score from Jerry Goldsmith um, to one of the Star Trek films, uh, Insurrection, I think, which is yeah. whenever that was, 1999, I think. Um, and I went to see it at the cinema because it was a Star Trek film and I was going to see Star Trek films. And, <laughs> nice, um, good. And I think randomly there was, there was an advert at the beginning that said, you know, enjoy the film by the soundtrack. And it is sort of, uh, despite the fact that I'd been playing bits of Star Trek on the piano, you know, as a kid, mm-hmm. um, it never occurred to me that actually someone, it's someone's job to sit down and write the music for a film. Um, and so I think I must have been about 13 at the time, 13, maybe 14. And uh, so, of course, watched the film, enjoyed the film, loved Jerry Goldsmith music. And uh, <laughs> then went and bought, went and bought his, uh, that Star Trek score and then started grabbing all the Jerry Goldsmith I could get my hands on and then John Williams. And then and then I, I, then I basically, I think I, I kind of went backwards. So I got all these film scores. Yep. And then I wanted to find, right, where did these film scores come from? Uh, yeah. And then so started going back into, well, I sort of hopped all the way back to Beethoven and Bach and then... Stravinsky popped in and then Shostakovich I listened to loads of Shostakovich when I was in sixth form um which is sorry that's for that's when I was 16 17 so before okay. universe um okay. yeah so I think Jerry Goldsmith had a sort of you know sort of clip something in my mind and I thought ah oh, I think I can I think I might be able to write like that um and then so pretty much instantly from then thought right I think I want to write music uh and so then started you know studying the piano even more and learning how to write music properly and, you know, score things out. Um, so yeah. And then yeah, degree and then now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've done TV and film as well though. Yeah. Tiny bits. Yes. There's yep. a, a, a lovely chap called Andy Price who I do, do sort of assisting work for. Um, so I've helped him out on, on a couple of shows here in the UK, um, some you know, children's dramas and then crime dramas. So sort of all over the place. Yeah. Um, he worked in a, he worked on a show called Nightfall, which was over in the States. So I think, don't think anyone actually over in the UK has seen it. Um, okay. it's probably on a, some streaming service, but it was on the history channel. Oh, nice. Um, and I did, you know, orchestration and some other sort of helpful musical type things, uh, mm-hmm. on that show as well. Um, so yeah, that's really good fun. He's been uh, well. He's great to work with. He's um, a very generous man. Very generous with his uh, with his time and his help. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of um, sort of work with him and managed to get into sort of doing the you know the TV and film side of it uh, through him. So that's been great. So as a person who says he's not much of a gamer, what made you decide to try uh, doing music for games? There's I think there's uh, more scope for creativity than you can than there can be in in films uh you're not limited all the time by um by by a, well by a strict narrative or a strict scene Correct. Um, yeah. yeah so you can there's the opportunity to you know to, to to change what you're doing and also i mean there's no way that in a film the producer would say right what we need is about eight minutes of ethereal music to accompany yeah. this thing. You'd, never, you'd never you'd never get that you know no that, that if i was lucky on a film the nebula would be the end credits music while people are filing out and, you know, and getting these <laughs> popcorn spills you know um so uh yes i think that's that's part of the appeal there's more um there's more scope for doing interesting things um mm-hmm. uh and I'm trying to think of a downside. I'm sure I think of one occasionally, occasionally uh, eventually, but um, I can't <laughs> at the moment. But um, awesome. I think at the moment, definitely, you can you can possibly be. There's an argument to be made. You can be much more creative um, in games than you can in film. Uh, so that certainly has an appeal.
months. It was really wonderful to speak with you. And uh, so happy that Claire said something. And uh, now, now <laughs> I've now I've got my eye on it for the future for future Lawrence Chapman projects. <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much for talking to me today. No, not a problem. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to episode 107 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Lawrence Chapman at lawrencechapman.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E. And patreon.com slash level. You'll find a playlist from this episode on our Patreon page as well. And how to find a link to our Discord, which is how I found out about this game in the first place, was, as you heard in the episode, uh, from a friend of ours in Discord. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Oh, yeah, hi. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level With Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level With Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc.